Welcome back to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, a show that's by sports PTs and for sports PT professionals. We're here to accelerate growth in your sports PT career while giving you the tools to provide your athletes with game-changing results. Here's your host, sports physical therapist and practice owner, Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt. What's up, guys? You are about to hear from David Gray, owner of David Gray Rehab, based out of Ireland, um, and even better known on Instagram. Uh, follow him at David Gray Rehab um, on IG. He is at the forefront of lower limb rehabilitation. We really dive deep into the way he assesses the foot the Achilles specifically, and then on up through the chain. He has some really unique cutting edge techniques that are super doable and repeatable in your clinic today. The way he just assesses foot mobility and his thought process to getting athletes to overcome their pain but getting back on the field stronger is certainly unique. There are a lot of nuggets here, a lot of pearls of wisdom. I also really appreciated the way David approaches the profession. He has a truly open mind that you'll really learn and, and hear about throughout this pod. It was a great conversation. As always, make sure you share this conversation with anyone you think would uh, really enjoy it. Make sure you leave us a review. Five-star review would be outstanding and appreciated wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. Without further ado, here is really a great conversation with David Gray. Welcome back to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. It never ceases to amaze me how willing some of the giants in our profession are to jump on a rando podcast like this and, and just share some wisdom. David Gray at the forefront of what it is we do for a living in sports physical therapy. Um, and I know that I've got a, a lot of Achilles and foot patients that I could do a better job of helping. And I'm going to learn how today with David Gray as he gives me a ton of free information to help my patients. Um, so definitely, definitely excited to learn. David, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Yoni. I don't know about giant of the industry or giant. even if I'm going to be able to help, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm looking forward to the chat at the very least. Thanks for having me on. Okay, fair. Um, and listen, man, you already, you jumped over the, the highest hurdle by pronouncing my name properly. So I appreciate that dearly. Um, your acumen as it pertains to that, to the lower half really, and your approach to the lower extremity just drew me in. You've already answered a ton of questions with, with your, your social interactions and all of your coursework has been awesome for me and, and my current um, caseload and my profession. So thank you for that. How would you sum up the way you look at the lower extremity, at the lower extremity and specifically at the lower leg? Um, I don't know. I, I will sum up. I don't know. It's tricky. It's tricky. I, I will sum up how I look at the body in general and that might just, just to start from there, I guess. And I, I just look at when I'm looking at a client, I like to look at what's missing in their body. Um, and not just, I know people's minds typically go straight away to like mobility or strength, and that can be a big part of it. But there's also this kind of coordinative aspect of what patterns are they maybe avoiding due to previous injury. Uh, obviously, injury leaves a big legacy. And like, 
you can restore strength and mobility sometimes but people just keep avoiding patterns for whatever reason so i have a lot of faith in the body that when we just address not not like not small not being picky about things or not not trying to force everyone into a box but when we just look at the big elephants that are in the room here like this person just doesn't load their foot in this way they don't move their hip in this way um they're just not strong in this position they're not reactive in this way i have a lot of faith in the body that when we just start to train some obvious qualities that are relevant to them that people usually start to feel pretty good and along the way obviously where it's not like purely a strength point of view by biomechanical point of view or anything like that it's a full like biopsychosocial approach to that when and when i say what's missing what's missing is often like building confidence speaking to people as well so it's not purely a biomechanical point of view even though i really enjoy that side of things it's it's a bit of everything and yeah just what's missing and then obviously when it comes to lower limb a lot of the time what might be might be missing is a little bit of mobility through the foot or the ankle the, the knee um the hip uh reactivity in terms of like pretensioning what's happening before the foot hits the floor um how well yeah like what's happened at the swing swing leg what's happened at the stance leg how well people can be strong in deep positions as they decelerate or accelerate all of these things particularly associated with more with i'm speaking more with people who need to need to utilize the gait cycle or human locomotion more so like outside outside of the gym not not I'm, I'm not going to like discuss about powerlifters or olympic lifters or crossfitters necessarily even though they can benefit from a lot of this work as well i'll usually talk but like they ultimately they don't really need to be able to leave the ground and come back to the ground again so like what they need is usually similar but also quite different so you really striving hard to simplify things is something that lands with me i usually say physical therapy or physio in your world is so simple if it's tight we stretch it and if it's too loose we get it more stable and stronger and that's it and all we have to do as clinicians is figure out which one is it and what is the norm so my question to you is how do you gauge whether it is that that foot can adapt to what it is we're asking it to do how do you know um uh you don't you don't know you 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 don't know uh you you can never know even when you do a drill and someone starts to feel better you don't know exactly why they improved so you can start to take some educated guesses and you're looking for usually predictable and repeatable responses so when i see someone with this type of thing with this injury history with this lack of movement in this area and then i do a drill that is designed to maybe help move this joint in this way they it usually starts moving in that way so like it's it's obviously a guess but it starts to become a more and more educated guess as you go along um so how do you know i don't know i i take a i take a more of a joint centric view on things or bone centric view which is i just look at the joints so there's a lot of joints in the foot there's 33 joints in the foot and we're looking for them to just be able to move and if i see a foot that just can't move and this a lot of people will associate like a stiff foot with a very supinated foot 
and a kind of a floppy foot with a very pronated or more pronated foot and actually i don't see that to be the case at all it's like saying like a stiff spine is a more kyphotic spine or a more extended spine it's it's that's just the resting position that's where it is it doesn't describe the mo- or look even look at the movement potential that's ava- that's that's available there so when i look at a foot for example you'll see i've got the chance to work with some like world-class sprinters they have usually a more pronated foot looking foot shaped foot and it's incredibly stiff as well not very supinated and and so yeah you see different people talking about like stability and i think it's a funny word that maybe they associate with like more supination sometimes uh, rather than pronation and mobility then more pronated foot not not necessarily i just look at the movement of the bones and we're looking at a foot like can it change shape can it move from a pronated to a supinated position it doesn't have to be like this huge change of shape just the ability to to move it in some way just you would like you would look at a shoulder just like you would look at a hand would you love to be able to have your hand flat at certain times if you were doing a push-up and would you love to be able to uh kind of crunch your hand if you're going to try and pick up a pen or grip something i would love to be able to do both i absolutely would and that makes sense to people when it comes to a hand or a neck or a shoulder or any other joint in the body or area in the body but then when it comes to a foot people just want it to be one shape and stuck in that position and uh i would reject that notion yeah it's a it's a great rejection the way you simplified it for me was (laughs) i am basically looking at whether the foot can change shape or not that's all you care about so my my follow-up question to that is how do you gauge whether it can change shape enough? Uh, enough, I don't know. But um, whether it can change shape in the first place is just by looking at it. So you can also, like the best walk, way to do it is uh, just, uh, you can look at them walking or even simpler, much simpler is just literally you have someone standing up, they're, they pop their right foot in front not in a big lunge position just a small short split stance position and you ask them to bring their knee forward and back a few times and you will if you, if you just look at the foot you can look at the medial arch transverse arch um you look at the heel bone you'll just see if they start to pronate and soup they should pronate as they bend their knee in a little bit naturally you don't have to cue this it should just kind of happen because the weight of our body our knee moving forward the tibia shifting uh, are, are dropping forward like that all those things should start to load the midfoot and open up the the joints on the plantar surface which puts a bit of length into the plantar fascia not just like the medial arch dumping down into the floor it's this lengthening from front front to back and side to side so that's a simple way to see when they when they move in are they pronating a little bit and when they move out are they supinating a little bit obviously you can check people lying on the table where you just can like have a little poke around at the foot and not I, I think people place too much emphasis on like the tissue uh like the plantar fascia how does that feel which is fine as well but like actually grab the foot and move it around not just the ankle but the joints is there can can you actually move the bones a little bit and get them to get some space in between them so that can be a nice way of doing it but ultimately i think the best way is just getting someone standing bending bending their knee and having a look and see if it can if it can if it can move when a lot of people will say like use words like over pronation and 
you know like your part of your question was how do how do you know if it moves enough and a lot of people then will say okay like this completely dumps onto the inside of the foot and now that move that's that that's moving too much i would consider that someone who probably can't pronate their foot at all so they're actually losing the outside the lateral aspect of the foot and you're not actually not opening any of the joints on the bottom of the foot in that instance there's actually already a word for overpronation. that's why i don't use the word overpronation. we have a word for it it's called eversion it's where the whole foot is just dumping in as one unit so that's eversion and you're not actually opening any joints in the foot when you do that so enough i don't know but moving just is it moving in some way a, li- a little bit at least is there some movement there that's a good question and it's not hard you just have to take someone's shoe off and, and ask them to bend their knee and straighten their knee and you'll you'll see it or okay. not see it okay so early in my career i was obsessed with manual therapy and i did some manual therapy education and they tortured me with here's how you assess the movement of this joint and now this joint and here's yeah. what it should be moving like and can you feel that and do you do any of that crap? Because before you answer that, I'll say I don't do any of that crap because it was too goddamn confusing and I'm not really sure about any evidence as to whether I can actually feel that type of motion. But people didn't log on to this podcast to hear from me. They did from you. So you, you shoot. I, are you speaking specifically about the foot there or I'm, everywhere? I'm speaking dead about the foot. Just Yeah, foot. Yeah. So like it's easy to get a good gauge at the hip, um, so like internal and external rotation, and you're probably not like measuring it perfectly, but you're not really worried about measuring it perfectly. You're just seeing like is there some movement there, and then you can compare it with left versus right. So like yeah, you have forty degrees of internal rotation on your right hip and zero on your left hip. We mm-hmm. might want to be able to get some back, especially if that movement like. Personally, I w- if I walked into a shop and you asked me, which hip would you like to buy, the one that has some movement or the one that has none, I'd probably buy the one that had some movement. So I, I think most of my clients would as well. And that-, that goes for the foot. I'm not trying to, on the table, like feel exactly which joint is trying to move or, or can and can't move you can't do it with the like with, with with the do it with the big toe for example like you can isolate that and be pretty clear like okay you can get a good gauge in, in your hand is is this does this have any movement if you ever have someone that has no big toe dorsiflexion or big toe extension it's very very clear very quickly like they just run out of room very quickly so with that you can uh, but there's three probably three things that i teach people if i'm looking if i'm looking at a foot on the table and it takes like 10 seconds and if i'm feeling a foot on the table and it's not to be all and end all but i'm just looking for big elephants in the room one i call calcaneous wiggle which is just like i grab the heel bone in my hand and i just kind of try and isolate the heel bone from the rest of the foot and i'm not trying to be specific can the heel evert and invert i'm not and again i'm not talking about the ankle i'm talking about the calcaneus here for people because people will get confused because they think a calcaneus can't move it can so like eversion inversion internal rotation external rotation plantar flexion dorsiflexion that's all the movements available at the heel bone Uh, i'm not trying to like isolate each of those i'm just seeing can it wiggle around in my hand a little bit can it move um i go for big toe extension 
I want to see can that move and then I go for first metatarsal dorsiflexion so can the can the metatarsal actually push up you you put your thumb on the bottom of the metatarsal and you push that up into the sky without the whole ankle moving so there are three things that I think you can get a decent gauge of but you can the only way to get a gauge of a midfoot the yeah. middle part of the foot which is if you look at a foot model you'll see like all the complexity in the foot is really at the midfoot all the joints are kind of in there or a lot of the joints are in there and really like if you were going to stand on one leg with your knee bent your weight would be on your midfoot midfoot is where you have the most options in your movement if you're too far on your toes too far on your heels you're kind of falling forward or backwards the best athletes will push the hardest when their weight is on their center of mass is over their midfoot just so many good things happen when we're on top of our midfoot and the only way to open up the midfoot is to is is my body weight being on top of it and gravity pushing into my body my body pushing into my midfoot and my foot obviously then pushing down into the floor a little bit so i would say that yeah you you i'm not so sure you can assess the foot that well on the table joint by joint that's why i think you got to look at it in a closed chain environment because ultimately that's how it's operating as well you're you're walking around on your foot you're not walking around and your foot is like in the sky beside you or something and that is why I wish I would have met you 15 years ago so I didn't bother memorizing what it is the norms of navicular cuneiform joint movement were. But uh, I'm glad to meet you now. So mm. when you do that, right, you find your calcaneus. Is your calcaneus moving, as you say? Is it just moving on talus? Let's say it's not, right? So now you have a hypomobile, let's call it hind foot. You have a hypomobile calcaneus. What do you do? What's your interventions there? uh just get someone like depend so if you decide if you decide that you wanted to get moving because that might not be an issue at all it might be completely like doesn't matter doesn't matter it's fine right but it also might be something that you want to work on a lot of people have achilles issues and all they do is calf raises and that works for some people but you said that we're talking about like you're having you're having therapists listen to this conversation who are probably working with a lot of athletes and working with strong, people who are strong already. And I know in my job, I get some of the best, consistently get like very, very high level athletes from all different sports. And guess what they've done for five years for their Achilles issues is calf raises. Yeah. And they have the biggest calves now in, on their team and they still have Achilles issues. And obviously there's load management issues. There's so, so many, loads of these things. But that's when I think you have to start to look at like how well someone actually moves their foot. And obviously if you had a, if you had a hip flexor issue, you would say, okay, the, actually let's make it even simpler. You have a bicep issue. You would, you would check how well the elbow moved. Well, like you have an Achilles that's attaching down or actually really just kind of like just becoming the calcaneus. It's just blending in there at some stage. We don't know exactly where. It's like tendon, just kind of all the stuff Melts. and then a yeah. heel bone. So like, yeah, so I, I would, if, if I had a bicep tendon issue, I'd probably check how well your elbow moved. Well, when we have an Achilles tendon issue, you do, people do check about the, check the ankle, but they don't look at the heel bone, they don't look at the midfoot, any other part, so they're only interested in looking at ankle dorsiflexion and plantar flexion, and I just really think that's 
part of the equation but like just really not enough and this is not just a theoretical thing we've had it sounds theoretical we've had thousands and thousands and thousands of people go through our programs and work with me personally and some of our physios and completely change their achilles issues their plantar fascia issues their sesamoide issues their shin splint issues their ankle impingement issues by focusing on improving the movement of the whole foot not just the ankle and these are people that have just completely failed rehab physical therapy elsewhere so how you get the heel bone moving is you have to have your center of mass you have to have weight on top of it so there's only the compression you need compression you need to for example you'll see people doing a wall, knee to wall like assessment and they'll push their knee forward and if you look closely what you'll see is you'll see space even though you're told a million times keep your heel bone down keep your heel down because we're checking dorsiflexion their heel is not down it's 100% not down and it's not heavy on the floor and how you know it's not is because they'll push their knee forward and you'll see their toes smash into the floor immediately so when the toes are smashing into the floor I can guarantee you the heel bone isn't heavy on the floor so you need to actually start in those like knee coming forward and back drills you need to start with your knee in a negative shin or your shin in a negative shin angle so your knee is behind your ankle and you need to be rocking your knee forward and back with the emphasis on keeping your heel pressure and you should actually feel the pressure shift in your heel i know this is hard for people to visualize because it's a we're talking about it but like it is a there is it, it visually very clear when you see it and i have posts where you can see it happening but it's hard to it is hard to just think about it is it's, it's hard to think about it's hard to talk about that's why everyone is going to go to david gray rehab and download the course and pay for the course but give me give me some tricks as to how you how do you teach the athlete to do that it's got to be more than hey just just do the activity you're not good at so so how are you educating them to create that mobility that needs to transpire at calcaneus yeah it's it's a very sensory thing so like you need to slow down you need to help them understand why we're doing it and remember i spoke about the midfoot earlier like you really can't get your weight and load and unlocking in the midfoot if your heel isn't down because if you think about if you think about supination when does that when does that occur or what what is supination really it's this locking up of the foot right so uh like when toes start to kind of push into the floor that's obviously we're pushing away then and we can't be pushing away on a floppy foot we need to we need to limit relative motion at that stage it's why it's a global example of this is it's why you're it's why powerlifters are very stiff and tight because they need to limit relative motion. They don't have much access to movement at their, at least any good ones don't have much ankle dorsiflexion, much maybe knee flexion, hip flexion, internal external rotation, much spinal movement. It's because they've trained their body to be incredibly stiff because they're pushing, they're putting a lot of weight on top of their body and pushing as hard as they can. So their body is responding to that with a ton of concentric muscle activity. And not just when they're under a barbell, when they leave the gym, they walk like that, they sit like that, they they are just very tight people. And it's what they need. So if we want to open up a foot, we can't be pushing we can't be pushing down into the floor very hard because that's where we're going to lock up a foot we need to be able to do that as well so it's about just it's it's very sensory in the beginning 
doing choosing exercises where we move from a negative shin angle which is if you think about the early phases of gait when you strike your your heel on the floor and your full foot comes down then your knee is going to be bending it's this kind of um heel rocker ankle rocker type of movement it's it's movements like that and you can choose movements like that like split squats like that um for a practical example like if you think about a bulgarian split squat you're kind of as soon as you put one leg back up behind you and the other leg in front you're kind of on top of that front leg already you're there so you're on top of your foot already and you're not going to have a you're going to have a bit more like midfoot and forefoot pressure there even though your heel will be down if you think about something like a front full elevated split squat um you're kind of um, your body is behind your front leg and you're as you bend your knee you're moving into that leg so exercises like that where you're moving from a negative to a positive shin angle that's what's going to really start to unlock the heel bone and the midfoot and it's not it's not hard you just have to choose your exercises and coach them pretty well and actually ask people to sense the foot a little bit as well which is which is what a lot of these people need especially people with foot issues because if you ask them to like tell you to describe the sensations that are foot they'll just tell you it's painful like that's right. the only sensation i can describe is pain uh and there's a world of sensation that we can find aside from pain and that we might want to help them find that as well and tune into that yeah so so in that example with the bulgarian split squat um when you're trying to force that positive shin angle or you're trying to force that that energy or weight shift through the foot starting at hind and moving all the way through you'd be a proponent of doing the front foot elevated split squat where we're now we're starting from behind and forcing that shin or knee to drive forward while keeping compression down through calcaneus is that right yeah i would i wouldn't say the word force but um because that might get people to like think about forcing something to happen but just by the the exercises is constraining it in that way yeah exactly so you're you're when you put your foot up on something your body isn't on top of that foot as well and then you bend your knee you're so you're you're almost traveling into your foot which means your weight is traveling through your rear foot and into your midfoot whereas if you think about a bulgarian split squat you're on top of your foot. That's why Bulgarian split squats are disgusting. They're one of the most disgusting exercises because you're on top of your foot and all your body weight and the external load is on top of that and it just it just smokes you. Whereas a front foot elevated one obviously can be disgusting as well, but there's this kind of moving in and out of the foot more than just being on top of it throughout. Yeah, th- that totally makes sense. Is there any room for manual interventions or passive interventions to get that calcaneus to move the way you want it uh no i'm gonna go with a little bit like you with (laughs) i know there's room for everything look there's room there's room for everything i just wouldn't be again i'll go back to what i said about predictable and repeatable and i know like getting people to move their own bodies is predictable and repeatable and if you do it right it's going to start to open up we're not all going to be contortionists we're not all going to have tons of range of motion but like most people will be able to start to access a little bit more and that means it's repeatable in terms of it will happen again and again with different people and they can do it again and again themselves every time they do the drill they can open it up um but that doesn't mean manual therapy may not be helpful but with the heel bone in particular you're just not going to be able to get enough 
movement they are probably true with your with your hands uh like their body weight being on top of a foot is going to be much more much more beneficial i would say but it depends right because you, you got to think about why these these joints aren't opening up so if someone can't flex their knee very well or like get that shin to drop forward they're never going to pronate their foot or open up their foot and dorsiflex so like you might be you might think okay I, I can actually do some manual therapy to help them flex their knee or desensitize their knee so they can flex it better and now they now they for example someone with patellar tendinopathy like they just won't want to flex their knee or someone with knee pain they won't want to flex their knee and then a lot of these people some of these people can end up with ankle and achilles issues and stuff because they just never go into this positive shin angle and dorsiflexion so other people they're just very stiff through the forefoot and that's just doesn't give them space to maybe move through the rear foot and the, and the, and the midfoot because the forefoot is so like the toes are like if you ever see hammer toes like there's no chance that rear foot is opening up because there's no space. The foot is just gripping all the time. So potentially manual therapy there could open up some space in the forefoot and now they can they can access more of the foot. So I would say the heel, po- heel bone specifically are going to struggle, but like a, a, a kind of a heel bone or a midfoot that's a bit stuck doesn't mean that's the cause of that in the first place either. Yeah, Okay, so so that makes sense. Um, now, if we progress forward towards that midfoot, you're finding hypomobility through that midfoot. They're staying. They're not letting themselves get all the way towards pronation um, properly. Are you ever prescribing yeah. midfoot mobility drills? Like, do you send them home with a lacrosse ball? Uh, um, no, I I don't. But again, that could be that could be helpful. Um, but if if you put a lacrosse ball under the midfoot, what what's what's that doing? What's that doing to the joints at the bottom of the foot? Or what's that doing? To, it's 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 basically like you can you can do it with your hand. Everyone can do it with their hand at home. Like if you put your fist, make one hand like a, a long hand, push your fist into the middle of your hand. What that what, when and that hand pushes up. The, the flat hand starts to push up to the sky. Does that hand now that you just, you put the fist in the middle of it, does that hand look more supinated or more pronated? More supinated. So flatter would be probably more pronated and then yep. this kind of crunched, crunched hand would be more supinated. So yep. putting a lacrosse ball under the middle of the foot is, is, is pushing the joints on the plantar surface of the foot. It's actually closing them more. So this is why I don't focus on this is why this this stuff doesn't work that well for plantar fascia, plantar fasciitis, or plantar fascio, fasci, plantar fasciopathy, or whatever the term these days is, is because like the best plantar fascia quote unquote release would be taking ten thousand steps a day and your plantar fascia being able to lengthen and shorten. But if you just start poking at it with balls and stuff, it will give some potentially give some make it feel like this tissue is getting some kind of stimulation but then the, you just go and walk and like the foot is still not actually opening up and pronating and supinating so again you could use a ball but my focus would be on not moving tissue it would be moving bones because when you move bones the bones are then going to keep moving and, and that's going to keep mobilizing the tissue so um so that could be an option but like clinically reasoning it i wouldn't be so sure but then again anything work can work because pain is complex um i i i think more like if they're not accessing pronation and supination like looking at tibial rotation is a really good option and thinking 
um like even doing exercises like foot clocks and stuff like that you can use the pelvis as a driver where they bend their knee and they like they they are they use the opposite leg so let's say i'm on top of my right leg i bend my right knee and as i as i bend my right knee i reach my left foot forward to 12 o'clock next time i and then i straighten my knee as i bend my right knee i reach my left foot out to nine o'clock i reach my left foot out to six o'clock behind me and then each time i go around the clock next time i do it i reach my left foot out to nine o'clock but i actually turn my pelvis in that direction as well so that's that's maybe given the potential for the femur and the tibia to start to internally rotate and you're just going to start to get a lot of rotation through the the tibia which is hopefully going to rotate the rear foot um and yes get get people to the medial arch so i would just start to think about like how i can drive tibial rotation a little bit more if they're if they're really not pronating or supinating at all and and it sounds like you're the construct through which you assess this movement and mobility and the way you use terms like opening and closing is is the reverse to so many which is far more open chain which is far more compressive in nature especially when using the example of the lacrosse ball when in actuality that's not creating this elongation which you're forcing to transpire in the closed kinetic chain environment which has a multitude of of benefits because that's you know that's the way we live and and that's going to be quote-unquote more functional it's just totally radical to the way i think so many people are teaching mobility training and I, i i think that's there's value just in that yeah, especially with the foot, especially more than anything else with the foot, because you can do open chain drills and you can you can mobilize a lot of joints. You'll see, you'll see, for example, like FRC and like I think they do a lot of great stuff. But you can open chain your way to mobilizing a lot of joints and feel great and and get really good results with it. But show me how you do an open chain. Uh, joint rotation or controlled articular rotation on one of the midfoot joints it's impossible it's It's, you just can't do that you need to have your foot on the floor it's impossible i i'd love to see someone that can isolate one of their midfoot the joints in their midfoot and be able to move that you can do toe yoga you can lift up your toes and drop your toes you can do ankle dorsiflexion plantar flexion um especially in the open chain you can line your back and dorsiflex and plantar flex and evert and invert you're not moving your midfoot not a chance in hell so like really the foot needs closed chain it needs your weight coming in on top of it and it's not just about ankle the like the ankle joint you can think about that as an isolated joint and then you can think about there's 33 joints in the foot you need where you see joints you should hopefully see movement and again if that goes back to the hand or the spine or the neck we would love to be able to move them and the only way of moving these guys in the foot is to is to do it in the closed chain and and i think you're also i I would say the same thing transpires around the tibia and you put such an emphasis on tibial internotation external rotation you see that in frc world you see it very heavily in the open kinetic chain in the frc world and i think i've struggled at least my patients have struggled with just creating enough torque other than the muscular contraction in the open chain i think going closed chain allows you to create torque off the ground to then manipulate the joints in the closed chain environment and i think you get more bang for your buck i think yeah you can and and you can use both like it's it's lovely for a knee client to do who can't who feels like they can't load their knee like when they bend their knee they get very sore so what are we going to do potentially 
I can try that, but like they keep telling me this is get this is making me more painful. I can do open chain tibial rotations. Mm-hmm. At least it's giving them some movement, a little bit of blood flow. You're training the muscles there. You can do lo- probably loads of really nice drills there. Open chain knee flexion and extension where there's not much load going through the knee. But yeah, uh, hopefully everyone would acknowledge that eventually you want to get them standing, weight bearing, building strength and all these things so like it's not one or the other we can we it's just about clinical reasoning um and and choosing the right tool and being able to progress in the right way uh so this, these are all great options but it's just important for people to understand that when you choose an exercise or when you have an intention behind you need to have an intention behind it and if you if you think that doing open chain drills are act, are mobilizing a foot i would be very i would be very skeptical of that claim yeah, a healthy skeptic. I, I, I can appreciate that. So let, let's kind of reverse course. Let's go to hypermobility, right? Like you got a floppy foot that cannot come back to a rigid lever to propel you forward. You're going to try to teach this athlete some form of stability or maybe midfoot strengthening. Can you walk me through the way you look at that? But then also give me some type of progression there, how you, how you progress a patient through stability drills. Um, stability, stability is a kind of a funny word where a lot of people, a lot of like things get labeled with insta- unstable and how about control? How about it's control? A, Let's use I control. don't think it, yeah, control might be a better word because I'll just, I'll just go on that point just for a second and it's not to be narky about it, but I have, a, I have a post on my Instagram looking at like, there's a guy who does a counter movement jump and he looks super unstable. And if I asked if you if you put up a poll or ask people all of their opinions like quite like as in unstable as in when he lands he looks like he's just going to buckle completely and it's a post acl client um he's like five months post-op he just came to me and he was still struggling quite a bit um despite doing loads of rehab and and a lot of people would talk about stability there but some people would say like okay he has a weak glute med others would say he has a weak quad others would say that he's not coordinated or some people would have commented saying you need to look at his vestibular system and his visual system in this instance so like stability doesn't maybe make it it doesn't help me narrow down what the actual issue is so i think maybe control is a better is is probably a better word in this instance and um a lot of you see a lot of people with maybe ankle issues who do struggle to control range um you'll see people yeah ankle issues are are usually the most common one like they just have maybe a lack of strength a lack of control through range and sometimes an inability to actually stiffen up around the ankle and the foot which is super important as well so i do a lot of heels like kind of floating heel exercises in that instance so people can even stand up and feel the difference between standing on one leg so standing on two legs with your knees bent and then not changing anything except just elevating your heels a tiny bit um off the floor and and you'll feel the pressure in your forefoot and straight away you'll actually feel a lot more muscular contraction and muscular co-contraction starting to happen to help you stabilize then you can go on to a single leg bend your knee stand left foot is off the floor right foot is on the floor knee is bent uh, stand there you'll feel this this kind of 
muscular contraction and co-contraction that's happening to help you stabilize there i will use that word in, word in that instance and then when you t- if you stay in the same position and take your heel off the floor a little bit you'll feel way more tension way more demand on on this control to stop you from falling over so this is a good point of view as well to go back to what we we're speaking about cal- calcaneous mobility if if you take your heel off the floor or it's not heavy on the floor, you'll feel so much co-contraction around the, the ankle and the foot and the lower leg in general. And co-contractions are not good when we're trying to restore relative motion. We want less muscular activation so the joints can open, not more. So if I want to restore relative motion, keep my heel on the floor so I have a chance to open up the foot. If I want to... Uh, uh, teach people to freeze degrees of freedom and limit relative motion which is kind of what we're talking about here is control potentially um, or locking up the foot I think you said like that's what we're we're looking at making sure that people can take their heel off the floor and then be able to do a lot of things there and ultimately (coughs) excuse me ultimately the like end of the progression or, or teaching people to do this I think comes back to teaching people a lot of plyometrics, learning to leave the ground and land back on the ground again and continue to leave the ground. That's where I think control comes in because a lot of these like re- the demands on control really come in there and, and because really a lot of these a lot of these things are driven through reflexes and standing maybe on a stability ball or or things like that can be can be quite beneficial like you can you can train some things early on in an an ankle injury or a, a lack of control you can build some strength there but the contractions are still not nearly as quick as they would be through a like a plyometric exercise a fast ground contact so what we're trying to teach people there is because the stability ball work and, st- and stuff is too slow because you're 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 contracting like when your foot is on the floor but actually to be able to really control range and the best athletes in the world and there's been studies on this to show that they actually have high levels of, higher levels of pretension and pre-activation before the foot hits the floor and they're not waiting for their foot to hit the floor to then say okay now i need my my muscles around my lower leg to be active they're they have much they're very high levels of activation the right amount but high levels around the whole lower leg before the foot hits the floor and obviously that's going to help them manage the collision well so i think for people who can't control through range we need to train them through range we need to train exercises where we have our heels off the floor not just calf raises but balance drills um like those foot clock drills with our heels off the floor uh you see in my foot program it's it's hard to explain but we have like squatting exercises with our heels off the floor hinging exercises with our heels off the floor um different funny things that people probably haven't seen before and then we have tons of plyos that are just building strength building reactivity building control coordination and not in a conscious way you can't you can't really like tell all these muscles to squeeze and co-contract together particularly well it's a reflexive thing that only really happens when you jump and leave the ground and come back to the ground multiple times reps and reps and reps of that so so sorry you, that was a bit of a no windy answer but hopefully that, that was great because because you answered one of the one of the questions that i have wh- when i try to consume a lot of your 
your um, information and content, which is that that pretension idea. And you did a great job of kind of breaking that down. What that what that looks like? That it is reflexive. That that body is ready to create, absorb, and create force before that foot ever comes down. So how do we begin to train that? I love that idea. Um, how do you take that athlete from, call it the single leg heel float position, how do you train them in that? Is it duration? Is it load? What's your first intervention there? Um, so, yeah, I'll go back to the foot program. Because just not because I'm trying to sell it, although people, I'd love if people bought it, but not because I'm trying to sell it, just because it's like a four-phase <laughs> thing. That It's a four-phase thing that uh, is like kind of written as step-by-step, step, let's say. So there's a calf bridge exercise. So like think of a single-leg glute bridge where you're lying on your back, your foot is on the floor, and you do a glute bridge. Except we're actually just lifting our hips a tiny bit and we're pushing through the foot and lifting our heel off the floor and holding in an isometric there in that plantar flex position that's quite disgusting for people actually people will feel the worst calf and hamstring cramps just by taking their heel off the floor in like a glute bridge type of position um very very disgusting for people so that's kind of training this synergistic contraction of the hamstring the calf the calf and when the foot is pushing through the floor we have drills where we do like wall drills where we're lying our back our foot is against the wall and we're doing a calf raise like against the wall but our knee is bent and that again sounds funny but like you're training the synergistic though there's a lot of muscles starting to work together we do like wall pogo exercises where we're lying our back our feet are against the wall or one foot is against the wall hips are up off the floor and we're and we're doing a little pogo against the wall so we're hopping against the wall like all of those things are designed to build a lot of strength and some kind of coordinate intermuscular coordination but deload people so like they're not there's not their whole body weight coming down on top of them which hopefully again might sound funny but hopefully like pts understand if i did a plyo with this plantar fascia person in session one they they're definitely never coming back because they won't be able to walk for a week potentially so like these are ways to build them up and train them and get them stronger in a maybe safe and logical manner so then you can yeah you can get them standing doing just floating heel exercises balance drills foot clocks with a floating heel um squatting with a floating heel hinging with a floating heel um kind of wall acceleration drills where we're up like right we have our hands on the wall we're kind of hinging back and then pushing up into a calf raise um where we keep our heel floating all the time uh gentle plyometrics then uh, bulgarian split squats i do a lot of those where actually like we we go down to the bottom of the split squat with a lot of load we take our heel off in the bottom and we drive as hard as we can through the foot then to come back up it again sounds simple but like some very very like everyone that does the program and these type of type of exercises it becomes apparent very very quickly how weak you are and we all are in these positions um and then yeah just simple plyometric simple logical plyometric progressions double leg single leg uh jumping off boxes uh just different types of directions and you can actually pick up a lot of foot mobility there as well depending on like if you're looking for super quick ground contacts you're going to stiffen up a bit you can have slightly slower ground contacts where the joints are going to have a chance to open up a little bit more you can do it in different directions to bias more pronation or supination and it's just like any good training program i think it's about some exercises will be like more about duration like time some exercises will be more less reps 
higher intensity um yeah some exercises you might train every day some you might do once or twice a week it's just a a, a nice mix depending on the the person in front of you and obviously the exercise as well 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 i think i think it's a great mix um because i think too often i would say our number one issue as a profession is not getting the athlete in rehab to this high level of plyometric progression intelligently and understanding that hey they got to be out on the pitch um, they need to be creating force over and over and over and over beautifully. They better be able to do that in yeah. a rehab-controlled environment before they get out there. So I think that's, I'd say, the number one issue we have as a profession or mistake that PTs make is that they don't get their athletes all the way to that level. What would you say the number one mistake PTs make as it pertains to plyometric activity is? Not doing them, yeah, just not doing them. So, like, if you take an Achilles or a calf, a soleus, let's say, like, in slow, pretty slow running, now the numbers will vary, but uh, you could see, like... David, David, let me cut you off. The the whole reason I brought you on to this podcast was to say the word soleus. I'm glad we finally got there. Do, wait, do I say it? In, uh... So I'll, 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 I'll use okay. soleus. You, you use soleus. Go ahead. Yeah, but go ahead. You were Def- saying. Um, de- depending on the day, I could, I could <laughs> say it in a different way or name it a different thing. So, um, so uh, um, where was I? Oh, I think we're after freezing now. Are we you back? Got, you got me. Yeah, you're so far away. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I lost, I, I lost you for a sec. Um, so yeah, number one mistake, like with regards to that, is just not doing plyos. So if you think about, if you look at some studies, now it will vary, but slow running, you might see six or seven times body weight going through the soleus in slow running. Uh, so people think that like a good rehab for a calf or a, or an Achilles issue is doing doing. 20 bodyweight calf raises three sets of 20 or three sets of 10 bodyweight calf raises and some squats and then like yeah next week you're able to go for a run i just think that's not going to that's just not going to cut the mustard and and you're going from like you're going from one times bodyweight to six or seven times bodyweight uh that's not my idea of a smart logical safe progression so you got to do them you got to do like these small pogos where your hands are on your hips and you're doing double leg and you're barely leaving the ground uh like that is not you if you're working with athletes who are playing basketball or football or these sprinting there's so much load going through these areas and the only way to replicate that and to bridge the gap up to things like sprinting and jumping and change of direction in high intensity is to do a shit ton of high intensity plyometrics uh obviously you don't start there but you got you got to build that up it, whereas if you look at something like a hamstring like a hamstring tear uh or just a hamstring in general like in slow running yeah you have a hamstring tear there might only be like two times body weight going through a hamstring in in slow running so you have someone with a hamstring tear you can probably get them jogging very very quickly like very soon after that's happened but you have someone with an achilles a a nasty i won't even say obviously not an achilles tear but like a nasty tendinopathy or a a a calf strain a calf a soleus strain a soleus tear there's no way you should be getting them running very quickly at all they can't even walk usually they can't walk up the stairs uh so 
you need to understand like if it's lower leg issues you got to get your plyos in you got to get a lot of them in and you got to get them in in a lot of different directions with different amount of volume intensity and complexity and don't be surprised if you have plantar fascia achilles shin splint issues ankle issues don't be surprised that they keep flaring up they keep coming back if you keep rehabbing people and sending them back without getting them up to a high level of plyometrics i would say yeah that that makes that makes a lot of sense can you describe what a good repetition of a plyometric a single leg plyometric exercise looks like i I think part of our issue is we don't know what good looks like to then coach people up to to look good so what do you look for as the ideal um i won't say ideal but I will say first, I think it's important for people to understand what a plyometric actually is because uh, when I say plyometric or when you say plyometric, a lot of people listening might think of something like a box jump and that's not a plyometric exercise. So plyometric, there's a couple of key markers I would say that would make something a plyometric. One is that there is a landing and a takeoff coupled together. So, does a box jump have a landing? Yes, I land up on the box. Does it have a takeoff? Yes, I jump off from the floor, but they're not coupled together. The takeoff, I, I squat down and I jump up. The landing is up on the box. Whereas, if you think about something like a pogo, the landing and the takeoff, the energy is being coupled together. They're happening together pretty much. And the second part that is a key characteristic of a true plyometric exercise would be short ground contacts so it needs to be pretty short ground contacts you'll hear varying um you'll hear varying reports of how short it needs to be and it maybe you don't need to be too picky unless you're working with yeah like sprinters and stuff then you do but they can't be sinking down a lot into the movements they need to it needs to be pretty quick on the floor and my def, my kind of marker with it is if you don't have like technology to kind of measure the ground contact time you shouldn't see a you shouldn't be able to like point out a clear like if you think of a squat jump you can clearly see they land they sink there's this eccentric there's this isometric moment then there's this concentric if you can really clearly see that um and really yeah it's just too slow and that's not a true plyometric and they're not using this kind of they're not using as much elastic energy they're not using their tendons as much it's more of a like even though i don't love the term like it's more of a muscular movement so that's that's the key components there is short ground contact times and the landing and takeoff are coupled together and then yeah you think of I, i like people to be able to strike with somewhere around the middle of their foot so they're not striking too high up on the toes they're not striking too much on the heel like middle of the foot ish middle to front of the foot um i like them to be quite relaxed and rhythmical so it shouldn't it shouldn't sound it shouldn't sound floppy but it should like sound is a big thing in plyos it should sound like there's a nice pop off the ground um and yeah you can just build up i will build up people's intensity of the landing and the complexity in terms of like the directions that they're moving but the big lens is are they keeping short ground contacts and are they staying relaxed and rhythmical like it looks like it looks quite nice nice is a nice lens to put on on plyos it doesn't look like they're slapping the ground and doesn't look like they're just sinking a ton things like that so 
yeah just looks nice short ground contacts and um quite quite relaxed and rhythmical i would say yeah uh, we've we've invested in force plates in a number of our locations and that's given us a lot of real data to be able to see i love the idea of just using your smartphone to just video it watch it make sure that they're rigid at ground contact make sure that they're not sinking and sloppy and i love that you highlighted the auditory cue because their ability to snap and pop off that ground is huge and it gives them great input should they be doing it at home they should be able to hear a great rep and hear a poor rep and then know how to kind of fix that so i love that that's kind of a piece of your world um okay i want to just dive into um a little bit more of a a case study in our remaining time because i think um you'll be a huge benefit um in this case so i got a 30 year old professional football player who has had dude he is the definition of chronic achilles tendinopathy who has done more heel raises than anyone should ever do in their life right he comes in to (laughs) see me or he comes in to see david gray massive calves 270 pound dude when he's sticking to his diet what does your first session look like um i'll just do a generic assessment with not too much thought on like the achilles obviously it's in my mind but i'll just look at how they move in general so table test like how's your hip movement knee movement uh ankle feet a little bit there toe touch and standing show us your squat no good or bad for any of this stuff i just want to get a feel for how you move um like on the table i'm getting a feel for your movement potential and then in standing i'm getting a feel for like your movement strategy what way you actually how how you actually coordinate things are you moving with speed or a lot of apprehension um in certain movements do you have access to certain movements blah 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 etc um so i bet like lateral flexion of the spine um extension um and rotation and then i'll zoom in a little bit more on the feet so that drill that we spoke about just that small split split stance knee forward and back mm-hmm. and then i'll do that calf bridge probably exercise as a little test to see can you actually hold this isometric position even on the ground for 30 or 45 seconds and i would say the answer is probably no um you're gonna you're gonna probably struggle there so like that's our assessment it's not fancier than anyone else does it doesn't take longer than anyone else does it's just being just been clear on what we're actually looking at when people do their their movements when you look at like someone doing a standing rotation where they just twist their whole body left and right you can see when i rotate my body left you can see if the right foot is pronating and the left foot is supinating when i rotate my body right you can see if the left foot is pronating the right foot is supinating so in all these drills you can get a look you can kind of zoom in yourself on whichever part of the body you want to look at but in general you're just looking at all their movement strategies so usually session one yeah just go, just going to be because i know with this football player because he's probably going to be limited through like his midfoot his rear foot no one has ever taught him all the calf raises have made him more and more and more stiff through his foot even if it's a more pronated foot or supinated foot it'll be super stiff the heel bone won't be able to move the midfoot won't be able to move so i'll just coach some of that uh, some of that little mobility work rocking that shin forward and back maybe a bit of tibial rotation so a couple of those simple drills and then like one isometric drill like that calf bridge um which is it's it's i think it just builds i explain in the video in the program like it helps build a, a, a real deep connection to the soleus that 
they won't have actually felt funnily enough with doing the calf raise exercises their regular calf raise exercises. it gives this like that we focus on like squeezing really hard through the lowest part of the soleus and if you look at a lot of these athletes doing their calf raise the regular calf raise work when they go to push up and plantar flex from if just like a straight knee or something what you'll actually see is like they just trust their whole body forward in space they just extend their back and they're using all these weird propulsion strategies a lot of these people will feel lateral shin and anterior shin working when they do calf raises which is weird like they shouldn't they're they're, they're finding all these kind of i don't love the word compensation but like accessory ways to help assist the movement so uh yeah just getting the rear foot and midfoot moving and and then what do doing you a, do doing an isometric probably home? where do you give them anything for home yeah that'll be what i'll, I'll that'll be their that'll be their homework that'll That's be their homework, homework. and, and i've got to do see- like simple stuff five or ten minutes okay how often are you seeing a case like this um how many times a week um <laughs> depends it depends on the on the person so like i've done a full rehab process for an achilles a nasty achilles tendinopathy uh where i've basically went through my entire rehab process like that program in one week with someone who's playing in a big huge competition huge tournament and they need to be ready for for that weekend so that's where you're seeing them like every single day whether it's on probably online in that in that instance i'm seeing them every day because they're in some country that's not ireland and they're playing with their team so yeah there's that um but most of my clients i'll see them i'll see them yeah if they look if they have lots of money they can come back every day uh because it's their job like they're trying to get better as quick as possible they can come back every day if they want but mostly like they can go and work on that for a week because or two weeks easily um because they need to get better at it and what they'll also feel is it's is this stuff is helping me i want to give them i want to give them the least amount of things possible so that they are so clear in their mind that it was these couple of drills that made me feel better than I have felt in five years. And not that I did 30 drills and something must have helped. It's so clear they can't argue with me. And it's not a, I won't try and change their shoes in the first session. I won't try and change their diet in the first session. I will see if I can do these couple of things and we just get your heel bone and your midfoot moving, watch how much better you feel. And like, because it's easy to deny it it's easy to think especially for athletes who want to work so hard it's easy to think like this is just a strength problem because that's what they've been told or this is a load management problem that's what they've been told but when this is going on for five years and they've managed all the load that they can they filled out every form they've got every detail with their sleep and their nutrition and every calf raise right like can you keep saying it's a load management issue and what if it's only on one side and not on the other side and now that one side that the pain is on is stronger it can do heavier calf raises than the other side but there's no pain on the other side we have to start to think right load management but you have two legs and you run on two legs but you only have this problem on one side so does that mean all the sleep that you're getting is only going to one leg and not the other leg or all the nutrition is only going to one or not the other so there is biomechanical factors at play and it's not just biomechanics in terms of movement it's also the strength in terms of the strength potential how you load these tissues when you move your foot when you move your tibia how your soleus loads not just when you actually run and jump not just 
how how much you can lift in a singular movement like a calf raise so that would be a simple first session and yeah probably Dude, like, that's not simple. i don't that's need a, to see them again that intense. week i love that okay i love that i love that because you're so <laughs> passionate about it um and, and, it, and it makes a uh, you know uh, just a ton of freaking sense okay so in in um so as not to hold you here all day because I could talk to you about this crap all freaking day. Let's wrap up with a lightning round so you can get back to treating patients and creating outstanding coursework. Ready? What is the number one mistake you see from okay. seasoned clinicians? Um, number one mistake. I don't want to be preachy because it sounds like I'm saying everything. Preach. Everyone does everything wrong, and I do everything right. It's it's not no. It's 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 because it's really not because I see people all over the world and everyone's trying their best. So just being closed minded. That's the number one mistake. Just being closed minded. Just like we all have our egos. We all have our history of like we've gone through certain systems or we've learned something th- certain things, and then just presuming like that's all the knowledge there is and. I, I have all the answers here and if if I don't get a result it was with a client it was like the client's fault or it wasn't a lack of knowledge on my part or yeah it was some external factor so just being open-minded but I think that's just in general for all of us just trying to put our egos aside and just learn it's a good freaking answer what country houses the best sports pts You know what? Every time I, I've been in, like, we've done nine or ten workshops this year. Yes. And every on. single country I go to says that, like, all their, like, physical therapy is shit in my country. <laughs> you know, there's so much shit over here. And it must be amazing in America. It must be amazing in Australia. It must be amazing in, in the UK because they have professional football, soccer there, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I just think... I just think the industry as a whole needs to be better and i honestly it's not even a cop-out i honestly can't even answer that particularly well i think there's just good and bad everywhere and a lot of people somewhere in the middle and in america it's more probably more obvious because like there's so much shit people there because <laughs> there's so mu- much more people there yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean like like there's like people give out about the the industry and the healthcare and blah 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 and the insurance stuff and how like some of that can be so frustrating it's just because it's in your face because it's such a huge market ireland is a representation of that as well it's a, it's just such so much smaller so we just have way less people here but probably percentage wise there's a similar amount of really good people similar amount of shit people and just a lot of people on the spectrum somewhere in the middle yeah, I don't think that's dodging the question. I think that's a great answer. So that's me you're, sitting on the fence. No, I like it. <laughs> but but I like it because you've been everywhere, and I think that's a, that's a really astute view. So um, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. What is your stance on PRP or any biologics specifically for Achilles tendinopathy? Um, I don't know enough about it. I had, a, I had a PRP injection into my patellar tendon when I was playing a lot of football about 10 years ago. And it literally, like, just, I would have been, no, I was, would have been better off not getting the thing. Like, it just, yeah. it's just a waste of time and money. So, like, my bias would be slightly against that. Um, and I think there's a few reasons why it could be helpful. One, it could be helpful for what it says on the tin. Potentially, it could help someone. Um, two, like, there's placebo. Potentially, 
that could help people three there's when i get an injection maybe i'm forced to take some time off my whatever activity that i'm doing at the moment and focus on rehab so that can be helpful uh same as like so i wouldn't necessarily call that the same as the placebo effect it was it would be more like this just gave me breathing space to focus on my rehab so i'm not the right person to uh i just see people being told like it's a cop out from a clinician and not not in a bad way not uh like okay like oh calf raises aren't working your only option is this injection which is just like bullshit why would i have expected calf raises to work in the first place when you know like there's just so many more issues going on here you haven't tried any plyos you haven't you don't know how to mobilize the foot you don't know how to strengthen the foot calf raises don't strengthen the foot it it, it just don't really build any foot strength they build a little bit of calf strength or they can build calf strength but they don't strengthen the feet not the way you see people in my instagram like every day their feet feet and ankles are freaking out shaking like crazy calf raises just don't do that to people so yeah i don't i don't mind any intervention if there's good clinical reasoning for it and hopefully it's not just a cop-out yeah well i think it's it's tough to just answer that because it's different strokes for different folks tell me about blood flow restriction do you use any of that in your practice no uh no i don't because again similar similar answer like I used it, I, I tore my Achilles I had an Achilles tear uh and I used it a little bit myself but if, so if it's if it's something like that like a, a rupture um it, I think it works a lot better to be honest with like with the quads than lower leg um to be honest but I think I wouldn't argue with someone using it at all but a lot of our work is now online and like these people just don't have access to this stuff sure. so I haven't seen worse results as a as a result of not not doing it so but I definitely wouldn't argue with people if someone said yeah I'm using this with my client I would say brilliant off you go brilliant um okay where is David Gray rehab in five years what are you doing with this thing man I don't know that's what I'm trying to figure out <laughs> um that's my biggest biggest problem right now <laughs> but it's like, a good problem. I don't know I just live kind of day to day and it's a good it's a good problem yeah like i just i don't know we've been enjoying the journey we've been trying to be consistent trying to put our thoughts out there consistently over years not tell anyone that this is the right way or like we have all the answers just literally never said that to anyone no no one at our anyone that comes to our workshops never hears me saying what you're doing is wrong what i'm doing is right are like this system is better i just literally say here is what i think and you can take it or leave it and hopefully when you if you if you like it you'll start to use it and you'll start to see predictable and repeatable results and residual results residual is the key word think results that start to last it, it starts to change people and yeah it lasts so i don't know where we're going to be i don't know we're trying to figure out like how potentially maybe it shouldn't be my name on the business uh maybe that's a limiting thing so what I don't are you know. gonna call it what are you gonna call it you want me to like poll the audience and see if we can get some feedback <laughs> yeah definitely see what they say. come up okay. come up with a name for me i feel like it should involve the word yoni in it somewhere i feel like that would that's a seller <laughs> 
Maybe not. Yeah, Maybe not. I, I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, David, I'll tell you this much. Uh, we have a... <coughs> We have a younger clinician on staff, and, and anytime I have a guest on, I bounce the name of the guest off this clinician because the guy is just like a maven at following those in the social media spheres. So I said, oh, I'm, I got this guy, David Gray, coming on. He's like, oh, yeah, no, I've heard some good stuff. You know, what you have to be careful about, Yoni, is like guys that just attach their overall ethos to one line of thought. And I don't know if this is David or not, but like I, those things just make me nervous. And I'm like, no, no, no. I've just done a deep dive on everything David Gray has ever produced in his goddamn life. And he's actually the opposite of that. And you just proved it. You really are. And, and I think it's, I think in five years, clinically, you could be doing a podcast talking about how the only way to cure Achilles tendinopathy is with heel races. You might be doing that because that's where your experience in literature would have taken you over the next five years. And I respect the hell out of that. So, <clears throat> Keep that up is, is what I would say to that because that really lands. That really resonates. Tell me, David, um, or tell the audience, how do we get in touch with you? How do we get your course? How do we follow all things David Gray Rehab? Uh, I just want to say one thing about that. Um, anyone who thinks that we attach something to one thing is, has, is looking at our stuff from a complete surface level. We had someone else the other day saying, like, this is... Oh, some of this stuff is fluff and like it was just so obvious to me that that person had never done any of our work and it's a it's a it's a that it's a criticism and i don't mean this regards to your the person that you're speaking about but it's a criticism coming from insecurity because they're they're insecure that they might hear me saying something that they don't know about so they're saying oh he just talks about this one thing and this is what i'm saying you have to stay open-minded i'm trying to i've been lucky enough to i've never said i know everything i talk about people think because i talk about like this is a massive problem in the industry if you talk about biomechanics that automatically means that you think pain is linked to posture or something like this or you know if you talk about if you think manual therapy is worthwhile that automatically means that you don't strength train people people want to put people in boxes and the answer for all of us as clinicians or trainers is you got to be better at all this stuff talking to your clients communicating having empathy listening to people exercise selection assessment coaching progressing through plyometrics on working with a strength and conditioning coach knowing when to refer out it's all of it i don't want to go to a medical doctor who only can prescribe me drugs or only can say like only can i want them to be able to speak to me and figure out what the thing that i need most is and any of those criticisms towards me some of them i I don't mean any criticism at all towards me but anyone who's saying uh, is attached to one thing it's a hundred percent coming from their insecurity and they haven't looked dive deep into our work because of that insecurity so that's what i'm going to say on that and um I want to say thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation. And if people want to uh, check out more, you can come to Instagram and check out David Gray Rehab. That's probably the best place. Uh, and there's some visuals there for some of the stuff that we spoke about. Because I know it can be hard. Talking about biomechanics on a podcast or movement on a podcast. We're movement people. Visuals are very helpful for us. So there's lots of visuals there. And people might hate it. People might love it. I don't, I don't mind. Uh, it's completely up to them. 
Yeah, and but it also gives everything you put on Instagram such great context because just to listen to you talk about that. By the way, my, my question to you of what's the number one mistake a seasoned clinician makes and your answer being that they are closed-minded, you got to listen to a pod to hear that and to hear you extrapolate that and, and pull on that. And I think that's what whoever's throwing shade your way is doing that, is not doing that. They're not doing the deep dive. They're not listening to your train of thought and how open-minded you are. So um keep doing keep doing that it is so apparent to me i did a i did a deep dive and prep for this so that was totally obvious to me i've heard you say the words i don't know man more than i've heard a number of clinicians say and i think that is a testament to how open-minded you are um and i have full faith that you're going to do the work and that's what i want out of my clinician hey i don't know everything but i'm going to go research and figure it out or we're going to try this and coming from that angle um, you know, really sows rewards. So Dave, thanks for your outlook. Thanks for your time. Thanks for all you're doing for the profession. Um, really appreciate you having on, being on. Thanks, Yoni. Love it, man. We'll talk soon.